I want to look this morning in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 1. And since this is a short one, we'll read the whole chapter. Psalms chapter 1. Psalms is a collection of psalms, as it's so titled. It's not uh, written by any single person. It's written by a variety of people, some of whom we believe we know uh, who God inspired to write these words. Others are inspired words. We do not know their author. They're not necessarily in any particular order. There are groupings of them in order. We've looked at some of those before, such as the Psalms of Ascent and of course, Psalms 119 is laid out in a very specific uh, pattern. But there's some agreement that perhaps Psalm number one is kind of an, an entry, so to speak, when these Psalms were collected. And it gives a nice tone and overview of the book and the, and the purpose of Psalms. And so we'll look at it today. It reads as follows. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so here we see some very, very good advice for us. And this is what I really want to focus on today is this chapter telling us how we can be blessed, how we can be blessed. And that's part of what this is talking about. Blessed is the man. So blessed are you. And it gives you some advice, both of things to do and things not to do to be blessed. And it really speaks to the character, if you will, our character. Our character is determined by the things that we do. And importantly, our character is also determined by the things that we do or don't do when no one's looking. I remember hearing that definition when I was very, very young, in fact, I think at church. Right? You know you have good character when you do what's right when no one sees you. It's very important. It's easy, easier to do what's right when people are watching you. It's more challenging and tells you more about who you are down in your depth when you do what's right when no one is looking. And we must choose to do what is right at all times because if we begin wrongly, then we're going to end wrongly. We've talked about this several times in the last uh, few Sundays or the last month or so. If we build a foundation that isn't set on Jesus Christ, isn't uh, firm in its direction, then we get off track. And before we know it very long, we are headed in the wrong direction and we are not following after him. And so if we want to be blessed, we must be very careful to take a close attention to what it is the Scriptures tells us that we should do to be blessed. So it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. 
And we are reminded very closely that we are to renounce or move away from any friendship or companionship we have with those who are evildoers who choose to do what is wrong. And if you see, we are told at three levels that we are not to walk, not to stand, and not to sit. And you can look at this in, in some depth, and I think there's some reason that these things are saying it this way. So we should not walk with those or around those who are ungodly. We should not uh, stand uh, with sinners. And when it says in the way, it's talking about standing with sinners. Nor should we be seated with those who are scornful. And this idea of being seated is perhaps that of being comfortable. right? That you're just going to hang out with those who are scornful. And you could probably say that each one of those gets worse. It's not good to walk with someone who's doing something wrong. It's worse to stand with them, as in stand up for them. And it's even worse to be relaxed, to be seated, to be lounging around with those who are doing evil things. And then we also have three levels here. It talks about the ungodly. Those who are uh, ungodly are casting off their fear of God, who might say, well, there is no God, or if there is, I don't care. Or if there is a God, he doesn't have any impact on my life. And so they go around not led by God, but instead doing whatever it is that they want to do. Choosing whichever direction they want to go. Again, having no true guidance, no true way in their lives. They are unsettled. And whatever they're aiming at, if they're aiming at anything at all, is going to change from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed. They'll do this, they'll do this. There isn't a succinct focus in life. And this is really probably something we should ask ourselves. Are, do you have a purpose in life? Do you have a goal? When you get up in the morning and you thank God for waking you up, do you have a plan for the day? Or are you just walking around aimlessly hoping to end up doing whatever it is that you end up doing. We must be careful not to be like that, to be the ungodly who doesn't believe in God and just goes around doing whatever it is that comes in their path to do. This is a problem. Of course, the next stage of this is looking at those who are sinners. So we have the ungodly who just doesn't care about God, does whatever they want to. Then you have sinners who are in open rebellion against God, who are pursuing things that they know are wrong. They're practicing sin, if you will. And I'll pause here for just a minute. There is a difference. And the Bible and the scriptures clearly teach us that there's a difference. We can all come into sin at different points in our lives, have uh, thoughts that we shouldn't do and say things that we shouldn't do. But there's a difference between those things and practicing sin. As in, you know this is wrong, and you're going to continue to do it whether it's wrong or not. This is practicing sin and something we must be very, very, very careful of and make sure that we control. Because when we are practicing sinning, we are in an open rebellion against God. We're not just saying, well, I don't know if he's there. I'm going to do whatever I want to. These are people who know that there's right, who know that there's wrong and continue who practice, who habitually will do the wrong thing over and over and over again. This is not good. And we should not be standing with those people. So again, we think through this and we go, okay, we shouldn't be walking around or hanging out with those who are ungodly. Check. 
We shouldn't be standing or standing up with those who are sinners, who are in open rebellion, who are doing things that they know they shouldn't do, or clearly doing things that you know that they shouldn't do, and there is a practice of it. And so if you know that there is someone who is practicing sin, you should not be standing with them and engaging in or even approving of what it is that they are doing. Of course, we have then sitting in the seat of the scornful. The scornful, so it's bad enough to deny that there's a God or say, I'm going to do whatever I want to. It gets worse when we're in open rebellion. But the scornful are those who are going to ridicule the very idea of God mock everyone else, and then bring other people into their sinful behavior. Is anyone else thinking of some like current examples in our culture right now? All you got to do is turn the TV on, or however you get your news, and you'll see him constantly. Not just those who will walk around going, well, I don't think there's a God, so I'm going to go do what I want to. All the way to those who say, well, I'm pretty sure this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway to those who are the scornful ones who are promoting it, who are actively involved in it, and who are ridiculing religion, who are making fun of those who say this is right and this is wrong. We certainly ought not to be relaxed sitting with those people. And so if we want to be blessed, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in with sinners, nor sits in the seats of of the scornful, those who are denying that there is God, those who are proclaiming, denying that there is a God and proclaiming instead that their sin is a good thing and promoting it. You ever been around some people like that? You ever walked with them? Never stood with them? Never sat with them? We really have to be careful about this because in reality if we recall that god is all and in all and is all that there is and we know god and if you have attended this church for any amount of time you know the truth and therefore if we want to be blessed and we know that to be blessed by god is a great and wonderful thing it is in fact what we should desire after is to be blessed and if we want to be blessed then we cannot do these things which means there's some friendships that we shouldn't have there's some associations that we shouldn't stand with and there's certainly some places and some things we shouldn't be comfortable with And if we want a blessing from God who made everything, then our first stop is to get rid of those. To remove those from our lives. To walk away from them. So when he says don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, to not uh, walk with those who are ungodly, we can't allow their evil advice to impact our behavior. You ever had a friend or an acquaintance or a co-worker who tries to get you to do something you shouldn't do? No doubt. If we want to be blessed, we can't fall victim to that. We can't fall into that. We shouldn't be present and hanging out, walking with them on these debates and discussions. And if by some chance we are, then we should be promoting the opposite. And that is the love of Jesus Christ and his rules and his regulations. We should not give consent to them. Reminded of Paul, who gave consent during the stoning of the early Christians. 
And in my view, he's just as guilty. If you're going to stand there and give your consent to something, and we talked about this a few Sundays ago, you might as well be involved with it. And that's certainly no way to be blessed. If you want an opposite example of this, let me read briefly Luke chapter 23, verse, I believe, uh, I'll start with verse 50. Luke 23 and 50. This is after Christ has been crucified and has given up his spirit in verse 50. It says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. He was a good man and just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, the city of the Jews, and was also himself waited for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. See, Joseph of Arimathea, he didn't consent to those around him who were doing an evil act. He knew that Jesus Christ was innocent, and he voted against it. He did what he could when he was with those who were doing an evil act. He not only, he didn't stand with them and just go along. He stood in opposition to them. And sometimes in our lives, whether it be a personal life or whether it be at work or whether it be at some larger function, we must stand in opposition to those who are trying to do evil and to do wrong. And if we're walking every day in the counsel of the ungodly, that gets really hard to do. If you look just like everyone else you're hanging out with, it seems really awkward to stand up one day and say, well, no, this is too far. We must be very careful about these lines. We must not consent to them. We must be more like Joseph of Arimathea, who did not consent. We must be very careful that we don't measure our lives by those of the ungodly that we walk by. And we must not act according to their advice. Just be very careful who we get advice from. A little side note for you. Who do you go get advice from? I'll just apply myself. I mean, there's probably two or three people who I trust for most things that I will seek advice out. And I've said this before. Many of occasions when I've called them, they've mysteriously, air quotes, not been available, which then leads me to who I should get my primary advice from, which is God. Right? And I'm thankful that many of those times they've been busy and haven't answered the phone in my moment of need. But, but they're still good counselors to me, and that's good. We need to have a couple people who are good counselors. But they need to be people who themselves are blessed. If you are getting your counsel and your assistance from people who do not walk in the path of God, then you're getting ungodly counsel. Counsel from people who don't know the truth. We must be very careful about this. Continues as he who stands in the uh, does, uh, stands not in the way of sinners. We should avoid them at all possible. We should certainly not stand with them, and we should try to not have association with them. Now, does this mean that we can't ever hang around people who are not believers? Well, no, we'd never be able to hang around with anyone, probably. And also, I'll just go further and say that I don't think this necessarily says that the moment that you're saved, you become blessed in that you are perfect in these things either. All of us can have times in our Christian faith that we are walking and standing closer to God than we should be. I'm sorry, 
further away from God than we should be. We need to stand with those who are blessed, as in they are close to God. They are doing the right things, not the wrong things. And we certainly should not sit with them. And again, I think this is the idea of comfort. We can't be comfortable with the sin that goes on around us. And so that one verse, we understand that to be blessed, we must not do these things. In verse 2, he tells us what we should do. So if you're taking notes, now we're going to turn to verse 2, back in Psalms, chapter 1, and look at what we should do. But his delight, who's his? The blessed. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. What do you delight in? I think I probably asked this question before. What do you delight in? And what do you delight in day and night? As in at all times. I've given this illustration before. I'll do it one more time because I think it's very apt and it's easy for us to understand. If I said that I delighted and loved my wife, but I never talked with her, or I talked with her for an hour on Sunday mornings with everybody else present, and then sometimes on Sunday nights, and then maybe most Wednesdays with a small group of other people, you'd tell me I was crazy and didn't really love her. And you'd probably be right. So who do you delight in? Who do you spend your time with? Who do you talk to? I give you that example because it's one that's very obvious to us. And if we were in the other position, if she never spoke with me, other than with a whole congregation present for you know, about an hour a week, I wouldn't feel very loved either, would I? So we must remember that if we're going to delight in God, if we want to be blessed, but our delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law do I meditate day and night. That means constantly I am thinking about what? About the law, about the Scriptures, about God Himself. That is something that I am delighting in, and that I am doing, and that I am taking it into my life all the time. We should be doing the same. We should be reading the Scriptures with a regular consistency. I mentioned before that we can have these sins that occur occasionally, and we can have sins that are repeated, that are a pattern of behavior. The opposite is true as well. We can have an occasional scripture reading, but we should be having a regular occurrence of God speaking to us through the scriptures. In fact, it should be our delight. We should love it. We should study it. We should know more about it. We should spend time thinking about it. We should spend time meditating on it. It should be our delight both day and night. Whatever we delight in, we think about. What do you think about most? Don't get me wrong. This is a super challenging question for me to answer. Because if you're anything like me, I I immediately know what I think about most. And while it's not necessarily a sin, it certainly isn't the Lord. We need to be thinking of him the most. We need to be delighting in his law. The scripture says this all the time throughout the Psalms and in the New Testament, that we should be meditating and delighting on the law, the word of God. Now, the world finds this absolutely crazy. Why would you read this book that's thousands of years old? 
Why would you delight in a law? Because the law, the scriptures teach us how we should live, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. It gives us a guide. It is our comforter and it is alive in the spirit. If you know uh, the living God and it lives inside of you and will tell you and direct you what to do, you will begin to delight in it as you read it and partake of it more and more and more. So we should delight in his law and we should meditate. We should think about it day and night, which is constantly. Let me read you a quote that I really like for this verse. It says to meditate in God's word is to discourse with ourselves concerning the great things contained within it. With a close application of mind and a fixation of thought till we suitably are affected with those things and experiences, the Savior and power of them in our hearts. We must do day and night. We must have a constant and habitual regard to the word of God as the rule of our actions and the spring of our comforts, and we must have it in our thoughts. Again, if we only engage and spend an hour a week doing something, we don't think about it all the time, do we? And if we want it to be a living part of who we are, if we want the scripture to guide us, if we want to be able to, whether we can quote perfectly and know what's in this chapter, in this verse, in this book, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, do you delight generally in the scriptures? Do you meditate on them? Do you think about them day and night? And when the difficult times come, when people say, come walk this way or come stand this way or come recline and sit and be comfortable this way, can you evaluate whether you should or should not based on your love and involvement in the scriptures and the law that God has given Because if you know the scriptures, if you've truly delighted in them day and night, when people come and say, hey, walk with me here or stand with me here or let's hang out there, you will know instantly whether you should or should not. If you feel like you're having temptations to do things that you're not sure are right, you need to be in the scriptures. It says we discourse with ourselves concerning The great things contained within. Do you stop and think about what these things mean? I know you all probably laugh sometimes. Well, I know you do because you have told me you make fun of me. I have an awkward sense of uh, history and things for for being someone who's not numbers oriented in certain small ways that I am. So I've mentioned I have a little journal of my past preachings. And I'm getting up on around 350 sermons that I've done. And I did it for years, just randomly, when churches would call me before I came here. And for the most part, I have had at least a sermon pretty much every week since April of 2018 or so, with a few weeks off. And then you add on top of that Sunday nights and occasionally Wednesday nights and other times that I've done And I will tell you that I feel like there has been more of an impact on my life doing that than I've given to you. Because I have to. I have to study the Word of God. I don't have a choice. 
And it has changed my life in wonderful, positive ways. That's the point I'm trying to get to you. Because I have been required to know and to study. Because you come and you ask me questions and I say, I don't, I don't know. Or I begin to say, well, let's study this. And even what was it, last Wednesday night or last Sunday night, I was like, I don't know what that verse means. And I tried to figure it out and I'm not sure. I have been forced to wrestle with the scripture, to read it in addition to my normal daily study. And it has been a great, huge, amazing benefit to my life. And it can and will be for yours if you do the same. And so my encouragement is for you to delight in the law of the Lord, to study it, to meditate on it, to read it, to read what other people say about it, to go to the Lord and ask him to reveal to your heart what he intends in his message, to reveal to you the deep truths that are in there so that you too can delight in it. And this is where I'm going to admit that I can't do what I just said I was going to do. There's a beautiful part of Scripture that talks about someone who's mining the deep things in the earth, and it beautifully illustrates how this uh, you are suspended by a rope into this cavern, and you're trying to mine out the precious stones that are inside, and you're swinging around. And you could read that and go, why is this in the Scripture? But it's a representation of those who go deep into the things of God and who are spending time looking for the precious stones that are within inside to bring them to the surface to share with others. You don't have to be called to be a preacher to swing deep into the Gospels, to swing deep into the Scriptures, to look for the gems and the things that you should bring to the surface for everyone to see. That is all of our duties. That is all of our job, is to know the Scriptures and bring it forth to the world that is walking in ungodliness, that is standing as sinners and who are being scornful and mocking God, to bring forth for them the Scriptures. It's all of our duty. Verse 3 and 4. We are given some assurance here. It tells us, And we shall be a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. I'll pause there. I won't read verse 4 yet. We have a, a, a similitude, an idea, an example of what we should be. We should be like a tree. Well, who's the tree? We are the tree. If we are blessed, if we do not do the things we're not supposed to, we don't walk with those uh, who are ungodly, we don't stand with sinners, we don't sit uh, with the scornful, those who mock God, but instead we delight in the law, we shall be like a tree planted by the river. Well, who planted it there? God did. By God's grace, we are planted where we are near a stream that provides us the nourishment and the water that we need that comes from God. And with God's help, we will be fruitful. We will flourish. We will provide fruit. And also you see in Scripture the idea that we are supposed to do this. And in fact, it's how we know each other. By your fruits, you will know them. If you want to bear fruits and you want to bless life, then you should do the things I've said. If you're not bearing fruit, if you're not living a blessed life, then you need to go back and question, are you walking with people you shouldn't? Are you sinning? Are you relaxing and seated with scornful? He will plant the tree. 
by His grace, supernaturally, from above. And we will receive nourishment from Him, from the springs, from the rivers of God. He will feed us. He will supply us through His Word, supernaturally. And we will grow and be fruitful in season. Listen. We're not always in season, are we? We should be, but we're not. Sometimes we have periods when we grow more. Sometimes we have periods when we bear more fruit. But we should always be ready and never out of season. As in, we should never be in sin. But don't misunderstand. There will be times for us to grow strong and healthy. There will be times that we bear fruit. There will be times that we do both. And all of that is under His control and not for us to question the season that we're in. Whatever season we're in, we're supposed to depend on Him as a tree depends on the water for its nourishment and its source. You know the beautiful part? We don't wither. We don't get ugly and die and fall apart. God gives us a supernatural ability to stay evergreen, if you will. Regardless of the seasons. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is not the prosperity gospel. You can find that on TV any night you want to. Our idea of prospering isn't necessarily what God had in mind. And he's always right, which means what? My idea of prospering is probably wrong. And you can look down through history. We mentioned someone this morning who spent many years of his life giving back to this body of people. And we can look down through history and see thousands of men and women, saints, who know Jesus Christ, who have been saved by Him, who have given their very lives for the cause of advancing the gospel. And you know what? They prospered. We can look down through our history and see thousands of men and women through time who know Jesus Christ, who know the gospel, who have given physically everything that they have, and they still prospered who have been abused, who have been arrested, who have been persecuted, but they still prospered because the prosperity that I want is whatever God would have for me as long as I'm here to do it. And that's the prosperity we should all want because that's true prosperity. Doesn't mean I'll be rich. Doesn't mean I'll be wealthy. Doesn't mean I'll be powerful. Doesn't mean the opposite either. It means that we take the season that God has given us and we bear the fruit as He supplies the means and He gives the increase. And that is prosperity. And then we have the opposite. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff, which, is, which the wind drives away. And here's a farming example most of us don't understand. You take wheat, it's got a little thin outside shell. What you want is the inside. It's really hard to separate those. So what was common was to harvest it down and put it in a pile and you'd take shovels and rakes and you'd throw it up in the air over and over again. And eventually the wind takes all the little light husks away and you're left with the seed. 
And so what this is telling us is an encouragement and a reminder that those who are ungodly, when we look around at those who walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who stand in the way of sinners, who sit in the seat of the scornful, they eventually will all just flitter away. And what will be left is those who are following after God. As frustrating as it might be sometimes to be caught up all together in this world that seems like it's getting worse and worse with all those who not only just sin, but those who defiantly hate God and do things the opposite of Him on purpose and try to bring other people into it. The reality is they will be sifted away. It's not my responsibility to do that. It's not done in my time. It's done in God's time with His power. I am simply to do the opposite, to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate day and night and to stand as a tree does. The ungodly will be sifted away in the wind. Verse 5, therefore the judgment shall not, I'm sorry, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. Now here we have a really stern warning. Do not interpret this as though those who are ungodly will not ever be judged. That's not what they're saying. What the scripture is clearly saying is that the ungodly will not stand in front of judgment in the same way as those of us who are saved. See, at the very end, when I go to meet God, at the very end, when I am judged, I will stand before God innocent because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not because of anything I did. Not because of any amount of money I gave or any church that I was a member of, but simply because I had faith in him and he saw in his grace to save me when there was no reason to do so. And those who do not believe in God, who do not have that faith, their judgment's already sealed. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness, of, of the righteous. So, brothers and sisters, listen very closely to me. You can go through your entire life standing in the presence of sinners, walking with them, laying around with them, and you may get through your life and have a pretty good time by the world's standards. But at some point, when it's all over, you will not be with me. Not because I was well-behaved, but because of Jesus Christ. You will not be with those who are saved in heaven, and there is no second chance. The ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We are blessed because of the Lord. Those of us who try to follow after him, who try not to walk in the counsel of the Lord, who try not to stand with sinners, who try not to sit with the scornful, those of us who try to delight in the law of the Lord, who try not to make a practice of sinning, those of us who have been saved by God's grace, the Lord knows us. This is a deep, intimate knowledge, and this is two ways. He made us to know us. That's why He created us. 
That's why in the garden before Adam and Eve fell, he would walk with them daily to do what? Talk with them. Because he loved them. He wanted to know how their day went. What did you name the animals? What would you do today? I told you to go and be fruitful and multiply. I told you to go and have dominion over everything. What did you build? What did you make? God delights in us. He thinks about us all the time. And it's still true today. The problem is we have allowed sin to get in between us and God. And there had to be a way that a penalty was paid and a bridge that gap. And that's the cross that Jesus Christ died on. That's His shed blood that would reunite us with God so that He can know us in an intimate, personal way and we can know Him. And it's two ways. The Scriptures tell us even the demons know who He is and they're terrified of Him. But they're not saved. Does God know you? Intimately? Personally? Or are you the chaff that's going to flitter away to be eternally separated from those who know Him? Or will you spend eternity with Him in the paradise that He has created? Not because you've lived a perfect life, but because of what His Son has done for you. And that's just as true in Psalms written a thousand or so years before Christ came as it is thousands of years after. It's the same process, the same thing. The Lord knows the way intimately of the righteous but the ungodly you're going to perish God will eventually separate you and punish you as you justly deserve because you've been ungodly because you never put your faith in him do you know him do you know him intimately do you want to be blessed by him That answer to the last one should be yes. Because eventually the opposite of the blessing will come. And that's the judgment. And none of us should want the wrath or the judgment of God. With all that in mind, let me just read this one more time because I think it makes sense. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruits in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whosoever he doth shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For God knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Where do you find yourself in this psalm today? You find yourself knowing I know that I'm saved, but I've been walking or standing or sitting with company that I shouldn't. Do you find yourself saying, I know that I'm saved, but I'm engaged in the things that I shouldn't? Then what should we do? Delight in the law of the Lord and refuse to walk with those people and refuse to commit that sin. 
If you find yourself in this psalm today realizing, you know, I don't really know God personally, intimately, the way that God desires to know me. That you need to pray to God. When? Immediately. You need to talk to God. You need to get on your knees if it's required. Whatever it is that you can humbly go before God and say, God, I don't know you like I should. Show me how. And if he doesn't answer, ask again. And if he doesn't answer, ask again. If you need encouragement for that, listen to last week's sermon again. We should ask and ask and ask. You can never ask too many times. You will never ask amiss when you're asking for God to save your very soul. It is the most important thing that will ever happen to you. It is the beginning of being blessed by a God who created us to bless us. So let's stand and have a hymn if we can. A time to reflect on what we've read about today, a time to reflect on the words that are before us, a time to consider what God is telling us in your heart, in your spirit, that you should do, that you shouldn't do, and a time for us to take action upon those things. Because I can tell you one thing. I mentioned there's seasons in life. Scripture also says today is the day of salvation. Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. It's today. And if God is dealing with you in your life, then today is the day that you should talk 